that easy in the beginning of a retreat to know exactly what to talk about or what you would like to hear talked about. On one level, it seems appropriate to talk about knee pains and nodding heads. On another level, it also seems appropriate to really try and express a a greater vision of what we're doing here and to give some sense of meaning to what we do here. So that's what I've decided to talk about. And tomorrow we will talk about sore knees and nodding heads. What I would like to really address in the talk this evening is the sense of the sacred in life. There are times, I feel, in each one of our lives when we find ourselves profoundly touched and opened by moments of and contacts and encounters with great beauty and with great richness. Sometimes it is things that we encounter in the world around us that have been created through the perception of beauty within, from individuals. Might be a great painting, a great dance, a great sculpture. Sometimes we find ourselves deeply moved and touched by things which are incredibly simple. There are moments perhaps when we are still within ourselves and find ourselves in awe, the beauty of an opening bud or a falling leaf or the laugh of a child. Sometimes they are moments when we encounter within ourselves just glimpses of great silence, of great peace. And all of those moments that we meet in our lives make a very special and profound impression upon us. They are moments of silence, moments of connection, moments perhaps of pure perception. And they reveal to us, perhaps, or give us a hint, a glimpse of something in life, something within ourselves, which is not really bound by rules of conditioning, which doesn't call for our judgments or our labels. They give us a glimpse, perhaps, of something which is quite sacred. Those moments often inspire us to question and to look anew at life and to wonder Really, what, what is it that makes a person want to capture a moment of beauty in canvas? What is it that makes a dancer want to create a space of grace and expression of grace? What is it that makes another person devote their lives to caring for the poorest of the poor or the sick or the dying? 
what is it that makes another person dedicate the whole of their being to exploring solitude and a life of contemplation. And in so many different times and in different places and different ways, what we see are different people responding to an inner call, responding to a yearning for attunement and for oneness. And what we see expressed in the world around us different people making visible their own sense of an underlying grace and an underlying harmony, making visible in different ways their own sense of attunement with the sacred, with the suchness of life. Through expression, through service, through vocation, through creativity, A certain quality of reverence is given to the sacred. It's a quest for a way of being and a way of living which really doesn't carry any marks of separation or of division or of conflict. That call that we see expressed in so many different ways in the world around us is really no different than the call that inspires so many of the choices we make in our own lives. It's really no different than the call that leads us to follow very particular directions in our own lives, in our own being. We search in so many different ways for happiness only because we sense, perhaps only intuitively, that there is the possibility of an abiding serenity, an abiding joy in life. We search in so many different ways for love, perhaps too because we sense the potential that love offers to us and offers to our world for openness and for harmony. We search again and again for a sense of meaning in our lives, a quality of meaning in our work and our relationships that allows us to be creative and that allows us to be spontaneous because intuitively we understand the importance of having some sense of meaning. The call, the inner call, that has really throughout time magnetized mystics of every tradition is the same call we respond to that leads us to look and to seek for ways of living inwardly and outwardly where we really can know an end of separation and an end of conflict that leads us to look for a way of being and a way of seeing which is deeper which is somehow more profound than the world that is presented to our sense doors and to our minds. That search that we engage in consciously and unconsciously in our lives is inspired through many different sources, often simply from our own experience. There are many times in our lives when we feel perhaps tired or even just disillusioned 
in living a life of, of temporary pleasures and at times even longer-lasting pains. There are times in our lives when we simply lose interest in a life that revolves around success or possession or gain or gratification because our own life stories, our own experience, really tells us again and again how very short-lived the pleasure, the gratification that can be accumulated is. Our search is also expired by those very timeless and precious moments in our own lives, in our own experience when we have a glimpse of stillness, when we have a glimpse of, of sensitivity, of peace, of, of attunement. Those moments, they're not strangers to any of us. They may be rare, but they are not strangers to any of us in our lives. And those moments give us a glimpse of a profound sense of attunement, a glimpse of connectedness, and a glimpse of what it really means to see a world of non-separation. Those moments also give us a sense of the power of love, of openness, and of compassion. Our own search is inspired too by the examples of other people, of teachers and of simple people, ordinary people that we've met, encountered, or even just read about, or know of, who have been able to transform and touch the world around them through the power of their own vocation, who've been able to touch the world in profound ways through the, their own commitment to love, a love which see, certainly sees through superficial differences. And all of those people that we look to, that we admire, they really teach us and encourage us to do some very simple and profound things. All of those people encourage us to reach beyond the boundaries of our personal worlds, to reach beyond the boundaries of our individuality. All of those people encourage us to reach for greatness, not for material greatness, but to reach for greatness of heart, and to reach for vastness of being. Different people, our own experiences, give us one simple message again and again and again. That there is more to life. There is more to living than just the pursuit of our own individuality. That there is more to the world and our place in it than just separation and division and all the struggles that are born of that. We hear the message that there is more to ourselves, to our own being, than simply the capacity to strive for security or for comfort or for pleasure. In our own journeys, in our own spiritual journeys, what we are essentially doing is learning to listen to those messages, to listen deeply, 
in our own spiritual journeys, what we are essentially doing is learning to see with depth. And our greatest challenge in this path, our greatest challenge perhaps in our lives, is to free ourselves of this belief in separation, in division, in the endless engagement, in struggle, in conflict. And our challenge in this path is to learn how to respond to our own potential, to see the sacred, to see the suchness, and to know how to honor that with our whole being so that we can leave behind us a world of struggle and a world of conflict and instead discover in our lives and discover within our own being great depths of love, of reverence, and of harmony. This such that we engage in in our lives, it is not easy. Sometimes we're engaged in this search with very little support. Sometimes there seems to be so many obstacles and so many difficulties. And we can't in any way minimize really how difficult it can be to really free ourselves of struggle and of conflict. What is really important, though, is that we don't in any way separate the difficulties in our search from that that we're searching for. That we don't separate the challenges and the obstacles we meet from our own search for what is sacred. Part of learning greatness of heart, part of learning openness, begins with our own willingness to learn from the obstacles that we meet in our lives. Part of learning greatness of heart begins with our willingness to embrace the challenges, the difficulties, the struggles that we meet in our lives with an open heart, with compassion, and with a willingness to learn The choice between despair and response is a choice that each one of us meets time and time and again in our lives. It is a choice that becomes clearer to us as our own search becomes clear. We all make mistakes. It's true, we all make mistakes in our lives. It has our own willingness to learn from those mistakes that means that we don't have to repeat them. We all find disappointment and frustration and resentment because we search for love, we search for rapport, we search for harmony, and we don't always find it in the places that we seek for it. But that doesn't deny the reality or the possibility of love of open-heartedness, of compassion. Rather, it reveals to us, perhaps, that where we seek for them is not the places where we're going to find them. If we choose despair rather than response, 
if we choose to despair over our obstacles and over our mistakes, it's so easy for us to become bitter and to become cynical. And one of the greatest tragedies that can happen in our lives is that bitterness or cynicism or skepticism becomes our companion. We seek for love. I mean, we all do it. We seek for love with other people in relationships and encounters. And we often have experience that the love that we seek for is somehow very unreliable and very unpredictable. There are many times when we find ourselves feeling hurt or feeling rejected. If we choose to spare rather than response, we perhaps begin to see love or the very quality of love as some sort of fantasy of the mind or only a craving for security and dismiss it and deny to ourselves the possibility of real openness. We seek for happiness, and often it's true, we do seek for happiness in very misguided ways. And so too often what we discover is a very short-lived kind of happiness that's as transparent as a cloud. And that sometimes we see that and we despair. We, we may conclude there's real no, no such thing as abiding happiness, no such thing as abiding joy. And so therefore I may as well just settle for gratification. In choosing despair, we deny to ourselves that possibility of discovering a great and abiding joy in our lives. Many people begin this path the whole path of meditation, the path of spirituality, out of a real yearning for freedom, out of a real yearning to be awake for oneness, for attunement, and at times feel disappointed. After a time may feel let down, disappointed in the teachers that they're with, or feel disappointed in themselves. You know, that somehow I'm just perhaps not good enough, or my karma's not quite right, or something's wrong with me, that enlightenment and, and liberation is for somebody else, or it's the territory of special people. And therefore, I may continue to practice, but I'll practice so that I become a better person, a more harmonious person, a gentler person, but lose that sense of the essence of the spiritual life, which is true awakening, which is true liberation. It's not to say that that desire to use meditation simply to be clearer, to be more compassionate, is not a good enough motivation. Certainly it's a good enough motivation. But what we need to see, that as we really attune ourselves to silence, as we really attune ourselves to being still and to being aware, profound changes happen inwardly. Not only do we find a great sense of sensitivity and care and awareness emerging, we also start to get in touch with a much greater sense of receptivity, of real open-heartedness. And that process grows and unfolds and continues in its own way. And as that real process of opening continues, what does begin to happen more and more is we begin to have a real sense of the suchness, 
the sacred in life and in each moment. One of the greatest obstacles that we meet in our search for oneness, in our search for something that is sacred, is really looking for the sacred as being something special, some place, some destination, and looking for it in places where it simply cannot be found. Sometimes we look at the world around us, and what do you see when you look at the world around you? You know, we see, what we see is, is difference. Often what we see is division and conflict and, and exploitation. And sometimes what we see is just such sheer tackiness. And we, we look at, at, this, at this world and we see what we see often is just separation. All these different people who seem to float around in this, in this sea. And sometimes they drift along together and sometimes more often perhaps they collide. And we look at this world around us and we might easily conclude there is very little that is sacred in the world. We might easily conclude that there is very little in this world that is really worth giving rever feeling reverence for. And so then we make another shift and we conclude, well, if it's not out there, it must be in here. So we look inwardly, alas, alack, we don't always find a great deal that seems to fit in with our idea of what is sacred. We look within ourselves and at times we feel even appalled or embarrassed by our thoughts and the pettiness of our judgments, you know, when we find ourselves looking at people's hairstyles and the colors of their zafus or their walking <laughs> styles and feeling how important it is that they walk in a particular way. And at times we are appalled by the harshness of our thoughts and feelings. And we do when we look inwardly. Often we really don't always find a great deal of silence, a great deal of, of harmony even. And again we conclude perhaps there is not very much within me that is sacred. And why should I feel any reverence for chaos? And after the searching and looking outwardly and looking inwardly, then the logical conclusion seems to be that the sacred must lie somewhere else. It must lie in some other time, some other place, some other dimension. Maybe it's going to be revealed to us through some special experience, some special attainment, or some really remarkable insight or revelation. The idea, the very conclusion or the idea that the sacred lies separate from this moment leads us to form a particular kind of relationship with the world that we live in with the people we engage with and with ourselves. And too often it's a relationship of disconnection and an attitude of contempt or dismissal. We may look upon the present moment with a certain sense of contempt for its imperfections while we strive for particular experiences or particular attainments, even as we reject the world and this has always been the greatest, most tragic failure of spirituality. 
that we can reach for the heavens and reach for special experiences and reach for special attainments even while we destroy the world around us or look upon it with a certain contempt. It's always been the greatest failure of spirituality that this division has been made that allows us to look for spiritual perfection even as we may in our own lives perpetuate fragmentation or perpetuate a certain scatteredness. This practice is not about special experiences. It's not even about special attainments or special places or great revelations. In so many ways, what we do in meditation is that we learn to see the special in the ordinary, and we learn to see the ordinary in the special. And we learn to really clear away all of those divisions and all of those, those differences between what is sacred and what is not sacred. It's so important that for us to see that fragmentation and that conflict and that struggle are always the children of the mind that sees a world of difference and division. Prejudice and judgment, harshness and even violence are the offspring of this division that is perceived between me and you, between us and them, between inner and outer. That separation, that perception of division is the breeding ground for conflict and for struggle. And to engage in division is in so many real ways simply an offense of our own dignity and our own integrity as a human being. If we can even begin to accept that the sacred doesn't lie in some special place or some special experience, then we would ask ourselves, where is it that we really begin to see the oneness of life? Where is it that we really begin to understand the fundamental connectedness of all life? If we begin to even question and see that the sacred, the suchness of life, can't possibly lie in some other time or some other dimension, then where is it that we can begin to look? Where is it that we can begin to connect with there is nowhere else to go then except the moment that we're in and the place where we are and the people that we are with and the experiences we are encountering, whether they are difficult or whether they are wonderful. It's not even to say that we should look inwardly because that even implies that somehow the suchness of life is some inner possession separate from the outer. If we are able to set aside, even for a moment, perceptions of division, perceptions of fragmentation, perceptions of separation, and accept 
that the suchness of life can only be perceived in each moment that we actually experience, then we don't have very far to look. What we are really asked to do is to learn how to open our eyes and our hearts to where we are. How to open our eyes and our hearts to embrace this moment, to enable, to allow ourselves truly to be touched by this moment. Unfortunately, as long as we believe in separation, then we tend to live by the rules of it. And the rules of separation are competition, power, our gain and loss, our rejection and pursuit. The rules of separation mean that we emphasize what divides us rather than what brings us closer. And the effects are disconnection between I and you between self and other, between us and them. And to really seek the sacred, we need to be willing again and again in our lives to set aside those rules of separation, to see the emptiness of all of those mind activities, to go beyond despair, and to have a passion for oneness, to have a passion for the sacred above all else, And that passion doesn't require of us grand gestures. A passion for oneness doesn't recall upon us to retire to the nearest monastery, to shave our heads, to give everything away. A passion for the sacred, for the suchness of life, doesn't call for any grandiose gestures whatsoever. Simply calls for us to open our eyes to where we are in this moment, to open our hearts to where we are in this moment. Sometimes we hear that, we say, well, this is absolutely impossible. You know, I can't possibly do that. I've got all these things I have to deal with, you know, and I'm, you know, my work and my relationship, you know, and after I've done that, you know, maybe then there'll be some silence in my life. Silence doesn't follow. There is no time when we have finished dealing with what life will bring to us. Ask anyone who's 80, 85. Is there a time in our lives when we have finished dealing with the challenges that life will bring to us? There isn't a time. The only time we can open is the moment that we're in, no matter how difficult, how challenging. The only place we can find silence is in the moment that we're actually in, not after we have finished dealing with the challenges of life. To say it's impossible is a symptom of despair. But it is true that to really attune ourselves deeply to this moment, to open to a sense of oneness, to open to a sense of the sacred, a great deal is asked of us. An incredible amount is asked of us. Not that we must strive and struggle and reach. Not that any of that is asked of us. What we are asked to do is to be awake. To really be awake. To be awake to the signs of separation. To when our minds move in prejudice or in conflict. Not to react or to condemn but to have the patience just to stay present, to let those fires die down in the gentleness and the care 
of our own loving attention. We are asked to see those moments when we get caught in our own reactions and our rejections and our denials and to ask ourselves, do we really need to follow those pathways? Are we doomed to be endless prisoners of our own reactions? Or can we open? Can we just open and with care, with sensitivity, to learn to let go? Learning how to let go out of compassion, out of love, is surely the first step in knowing the suchness of life. There are moments when we, when we find ourselves assaulted by our own images, our self-definitions, our self-judgments. To learn how to stop in those moments. Not to construct, not to create boundaries for ourselves. To stop and to listen. And in listening to all of those movements within our minds, we hear not just the melodies and the songs and the words of the songs, we begin to sense some quality of underlying harmony that has the power and the capacity to embrace all of these movements. The only place that silence can be, the only place it can happen is in this time and place when we begin to seek the sacred, the suchness of life with our whole being. Reverence is not a result of a special spiritual attainment. Silence is not a result of a special spiritual insight. I've never met anyone who had some great moment of revelation and from then on was silent. A reverence for life is born of a transformation in consciousness, a transformation in our way of seeing our way of holding the world around us and our way of holding ourselves. Reverence is born when we don't really give emphasis anymore to what divides, when we look a little bit deeper to see what it is that actually brings us closer to the heart of life, to the heart of others, to the heart of ourselves. Reverence is truly treasuring oneness and attunement and stillness above all else. And there is a place for reverence in every contact, in every encounter in our lives, for our own bodies and feelings and thoughts, for the world around us, for the people that we're in, for our planet. There's a place for reverence in every contact. Reverence is a gesture of respect for the integrity, for the dignity, for the spirit of our life. That reverence is a great teacher. Learning to see with reverence is one of the most powerful teachers in our lives. It teaches us how to be still amidst movement, not to seek for stillness, something separate from movement. It teaches us how to find silence amidst noise, not to look for silence as something separate from noise. It teaches us how to find a place of great calmness amidst chaos and how to find peace, even in the midst of the difficult. When we begin to cultivate that sense of reverence, it doesn't mean we don't meet challenges anymore. It doesn't mean that all obstacles fall away 
that we have no more moments of challenge in our lives. But I feel we begin to see that the obstacles we meet are not something to overcome. The difficulties in our lives are not something to overcome, to reject, or to get rid of. But really, in how many ways the obstacles in our life teach us new ways to open, offer to us the possibility of new depths of humility, and the real possibility of greatness of heart. Letting go and honoring is really the path of reverence. It is the path of oneness. It is a difficult task at times. But we have a very special, a very precious, and a very unique blessing in our lives. We have within ourselves the capacity to be aware. And there is no greater gift no greater offering that can ever touch our lives than our own capacity to be aware. It is our capacity to be aware that enables us to respond. It's our capacity to be aware that empowers us to touch the world around us with understanding and with compassion. It's our capacity to be aware that empowers us really to bring about transformation both inwardly and outwardly. It doesn't mean that we have no pain. It doesn't mean that pain will never arise in our lives. But learning to attend to oneness means that we will have no war. It means we will have no struggle. It means that we will learn how to respond to pain in ways that deepen us, in ways that we are empowered to heal and to touch. There is a great joy. There is an immense joy in setting aside the struggles of separation. There's an immense peace of setting aside the struggles of division. It's a quality of peace that is present in the midst of pain. And it's a quality of serenity that is truly present in the midst of turmoil. In meditation, we just learn to listen. And sometimes it seems like there's no meaning in what we do. Sometimes we can't understand what is the meaning of walking slowly coming back to our breath, of sitting, of walking, of keeping silence. What is the meaning of all of this? And his meaning is not to seek for a special experience. It's not to create a particular kind of person, a spiritual person. Its meaning is not to disconnect us from the world around us, nor to find something special even within ourselves. The meaning of what we do is learning to be present, learning to be awake. And this is all that we can do and all that we are asked to do. And actually, it is all that we need to do. There is no more that we need to do, simply to be awake and to be present. And from that very wakefulness, all things will unfold. 
and all things will be revealed to us. And there's a possibility of us being touched by a profound sense of oneness, of a perception of the suchness in life, in each moment, in all things and within ourselves. May all beings live with awareness. May all beings live with open-heartedness. May all beings live with joy. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.